that's all I did. Oh, really? I just showed up and performed on a show and someone messaged me being like, hey, just so you know, Planned Parenthood is the number one provider of abortions in the U.S. And I didn't say anything. I just left it on red. But I so badly was like, I, there are so many things I could say to this. But <laughs> it just was so crazy to me. Like hearing that, I was like, wow, I didn't know these people existed that like they think that's all Planned Parenthood does. Like, well, it's also just important health care. The only thing that we did, though, you know, like even if that was the only thing that we did, like that's OK, because it's a necessary health. It's necessary. Yeah. Healthcare. It will never, ever go away. Yeah. Right. The need for that service will never go away. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Shooters Gotta Shoot. I am your co-host, Erica Spera. And I'm Molly DeMillier. And we have a great episode for you this mm-hmm. week. Uh, very, very informative and I think on time with the election that we're all facing. Yeah. Uh, we had a doctor come in from Planned Parenthood. She's awesome. Uh, truly one of the most interesting interviews we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and openly spoke all things abortion, all things Planned Parenthood. I mean, I was blown away. I'm very excited for everybody to listen to this yeah i mean i'm i'm so pumped i was really excited that we could get her on like you said it's it's super timely with amy coney barrett and the supreme court nomination and if as feminists like i assume the shooters listeners are if you need another reason to go out and vote i think this is this is it and we just can't express more that everybody needs to vote on november 3rd um women's rights are really on the ballot this year and um there, there's a lot at stake for women uh, in 2020, and I think we should just get into it. Me too. And um, I mean, real quick, guys, if you're experiencing any anything that you're looking for, maybe a little support. I know a lot of people listen to this um, also have herpes, like myself. Uh, we've been doing virtual meetups. I just want to plug that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that have been truly awesome. I actually kind of have been liking them more than the in-person ones. Oh, cool. I think people are more likely to share it. Weirdly, it's just everyone feels up close and personal. It's like yeah. all our faces are on camera. You're watching everyone tell and share their stories. So if you want to join that group, um, you can send an email to me, which is herpesgroupnyc at gmail.com or DM me. I'll send you the info. But also, if you have anything else that might not be herpes, whatever related, truly look through the internet. I'm sure there's a support group for other people that have gone through the same thing as you. Cause we talked so much in this episode about the shame that women will feel from getting abortions and other things that, you know, essentially the narrative tries to shame you into maybe not even getting one. Right. Mm-hmm. That comes up so much comes up, but basically I'm like, guys, if you're looking for resources, that's the beauty of the internet is it can connect people in beautiful ways. So mm-hmm. don't be shy, search those things, find those groups. And um, if you want to support the podcast, we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash shooters got to shoot where we, um, you know, get a little more personal on the pod, uh, <laughs> give a little voting power to the pod, or if you just want to help support us in any way, uh, we appreciate it. So without further ado, let's do it. Let's get into our guest. I am so excited. We got this woman on the podcast. Well, you want to kick us off? Yeah. I mean, you guys have probably seen her book. You're the only one I've told stories behind abortion. And she is the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood, Hudson Peconic. I am very, very excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mira Shah. (laughs) Welcome to the pod. Thank you all so much. Y'all are so sweet. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're very excited to have you on. Uh, I guess... Up top, can you share a little bit about your role within Planned Parenthood? Sure, sure. So I'm a family medicine physician by training, um, and I specialize in full spectrum sexual reproductive health care. I provide prenatal care, abortion care, um, vasectomies, contraception care, um, and I also provide hormone therapy um, for the transgender community. Um, and I am currently the acting chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood Hudson Peconic, um, where I provide direct clinical care. So I see patients two to three days a week. Um, and the rest of the time I'm, um, working on projects, um, doing administrative work, leading the organization's clinical arm, um, to kind of keep, keep up with medicine and, um, make sure that the care that we're providing is consistent with all the guidelines and with all of the most recent research. 
Um, and I also am really involved in advocacy. So I speak out a lot. I, I lend my voice to the greater narrative around sexual reproductive health, particularly abortion. Um, it's so misunderstood. And as an expert in the field, um, I work really hard to dispel myths um, and let people know the truth about what happens in my exam room and who these people are. Wow, that's really interesting. What are some of the myths that you try and dispel? Um, well, the, well, there's many, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest myths is that abortion is rare um, and that, you know, that only a certain type of person has an abortion or it's not very common. Um, when in fact, one out of four women has an abortion in her lifetime. Um, so that's definitely somebody you know or somebody you love. Um, and it's just that people aren't talking about it very much because it's so highly stigmatized. Um, another is that abortion is not safe. And when in fact, uh, the truth is, is that it's one of the safest medical procedures um, one can have. Um, it has an incredible safety profile, um, very, very low complication rate. Um, and it's also medically speaking, a very easy process. The procedure takes like less than two minutes. Wow. Um, and a medication abortion really simulates um, a, a miscarriage. Um, so it induces a miscarriage that happens at home. Um, and both, both types of abortions are, are really safe. Um, so yeah, these are the common myths um, that I hear. Um, and I, and I, you know, and people are usually blown away when I tell them things like that. Um, and yet that's the truth. Abortion is super common. It's really safe. Um, there's no particular type of person who has an abortion. Um, my patients represent every single demographic, um, racial background, socioeconomic background, religious background, um, people who identify as Christian, people who identify as Muslim, um, just really the whole gamut. People who don't identify as women have abortions. Um, so yeah, that's the, those are the truths. <laughs> I was going to say, not to, we do want to ask you a lot of questions that have to do with abortion specifically, but I was going to say, some of the biggest myths I've heard people say about Planned Parenthood as an organization in general actually would be number one, that they are just an abortion clinic and that's yeah. all they do. And then a recent one that I actually didn't even know was that they only treat um, females. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, you know, abortion is a, is a core service of ours. It's a really important and highly protected service of ours. It's one that we're really proud of. Um, one that we love providing to our patients, one that we're really known for. Um, and I'll say that we have such an incredible reach um, in the communities that we serve. And so we really try to take advantage of that and provide our patients with the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health services. So if an individual comes to us with a positive pregnancy test, we counsel them on you know their options, which are parenting, um, abortion, or adoption. And um, you know, our Planned Parenthood provides prenatal care, abortion care. Um, yeah, and we and I and I practice in New York, um, so we are able to provide a lot of our services with relative ease. Um, and other parts of the country, my colleagues um, are having a hard time providing the exact same services to their patients mm. for all of the. Uh, legislative and, you know, restrictive barriers that are out there. And, you know, to your point about, yeah, we, we see patients of every gender identity. Um, so, you know, anyone can be screened for STIs or HIV. Anyone can be counseled on preventing pregnancy um, or continuing a pregnancy, um, their gender, regardless of their gender identity. What would you say are some of the most common services that Planned Parenthood provides? And do you, do you know which is the most common? Like what is number one or? You know, it's interesting. I, I should know that off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but I think that definitely, 
you know, we started out as a per, as like the number one provider for contraception for birth control. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. That that's that's one of our main services. Abortion is what we're known for um, because we do a really good job of, of fighting for it as well as providing the service. Um, Which I'll say, can I throw this in? I have many friends that when they didn't have healthcare would go to Planned Parenthood for mm-hmm. their annual exams, for birth control, for anything they needed basically that was related to that department. But then even upon getting insurance would go back to those same Planned Parenthoods because then the insurance was then giving this place money. Like, oh, and and they were like, truly, it was some of the best service I've ever had. Oh, like, that's really so, nice. I mean, huge Thank shout you. out to you guys for all that. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was like, I got to give you kudos. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I, I think that's, that that's really important to hear and get that feedback. So thank you. Um, you know, we, that, you know, our, our goal is to be a safe place for people that get care. Um, especially when, you know, their other options aren't available. Um, yeah, so we provide cervical cancer screening. So pap tests, um, we do colposcopy, which is, you know, if you have an abnormal pap, um, you may need bio- to, have, to have your cervix evaluated under a microscope to then have biopsies taken. Um, we provide that service. That's really common. Um, any sort of breast complaint, um, we can we can work up um, and um, refer for further imaging, such as an ultrasound or a mammogram if needed. Um, so yeah. And, and again, we, we are exp- constantly expanding. In the past two years since I've been there, we now provide PEP and PrEP for HIV prevention. We're starting rapid initiation of ART, meaning that the day that you have a your rapid HIV test comes back reactive, we will start you on um, antiretroviral therapy that same day. Um, we started vasectomies. Uh, we started doing vasectomies within the last year. Um, and and two years ago, we started pro, um, providing hormone therapy to the trans community. Um, probably middle of next year, we will um, start providing primary care. So just like, you know, so, you know, for people who need evaluation of other systems of their body outside of their reproductive wow. um, system. Um, so we're really trying to, to, to spread our reach. I mean, we were constantly listening to our patients and you know the reason that we started trans care was because our patients who were trans were coming to us for sexual reproductive health care saying we you know we really like coming here and yet we don't have anywhere to go for hormones hmm. so hearing that um we started providing the service so that's great that was something yeah. i noticed when i was looking on the website <laughs> was yeah. i didn't i didn't know that they also offered transgender services so i think that's it's great. So that debunks one of the myths. It's like, yeah. it's truly now for everybody, really, to use. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. I mean, just to echo what Erica was saying about people who have continued to go to Planned Parenthood, I remember growing up and when, like, girls that were first starting to have sex, they were going to Planned Parenthood to get birth control. And they just had such a good positive experience with their, like, first becoming sexually active, which is such a vulnerable time. And as someone who went later on in college and like went through an established OBGYN and it was really challenging actually. And I felt very judged. So you guys are providing like such important care just emotionally as well. And you spoke a little bit earlier about some of the legislative issues that are making it more challenging for some of your other colleagues. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like what those issues are? Yeah, definitely. Well, I wanted to comment on the fact that you said that, you know, some young people, you know, or, you know, you heard of friends um, going to Planned Parenthood um, for care when they were young. And, you know, that's something that I want to point out that in some states, you don't need parental consent to get an abortion, to get an IUD, to get birth control. Um, And New York is one of them. Whereas Mm -hmm. in other states, in conservative states, you do need parental consent. So some, and we always encourage young people to engage in conversations about sex and sexuality um, with with old, with a trusted adult, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. They can't always do that. So oftentimes, Planned Parenthood becomes like the trusted adult um, that a young person can speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
and so we really pride ourselves in that. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're, we're I'm, I'm talking to young people all the time at a super vulnerable time in their life. Um, and half the time I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be like that cool dog. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> not this like big nerd or just someone they can relate to. Um, but well, I was gonna say that's yeah. for sure. That has to for sure be true for people that like aren't out of the closet yet with their families. So mm-hmm. if you're a gay male and at a high risk for you know HIV, like I would totally understand why you're not comfortable telling your family yet. Like if they don't know, like I know people that didn't come out mm-hmm. still to this day, and I'm 30. You know, like totally. you know, yeah. type of thing. Well, also when you're younger, there's such a stigma around getting on birth control and then obviously having an abortion that, you know, you're like the slutty girl or, you know, you are too promiscuous. But I mean, sexual assault is real. And if anything, 2020 and the most recent years have taught us is that like this is a real thing and people might not be able to have those conversations with someone. So the anonymity of going to Planned Parenthood, I just remember, was so important to a lot of people growing up. And not even just sexual assault, but also issues around consent. Mm-hmm. Consent is a really important topic that needs to be taught in sex ed, in schools, and just sort of the, like, what it means to actually provide consent to any sort of sexual behavior, that there needs to be conversation before an act, there needs to be mutual agreement on the act, you should be able to say no at any time, I mean, these are really important things to be talking to young people about because oftentimes what happens is that, you know, something occurs between two people that maybe one party wasn't there for, you know, mm-hmm. like they just didn't, they didn't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so encouraging dialogue and encouraging people to say no if it's not okay or if that doesn't feel right or doesn't feel comfortable. Um and yeah, so a lot of the work that Planned Parenthood actually does. So outside of the direct medical care, we have a, an awesome education arm that provides um, sex education that is gender inclusive. Um, it's really inclusive of the LGBT community. Um, it's, you know, they, we talk about consent with young people. Um, and it's a really important part of the work that we do in the communities that we serve. So um and then you were, sorry, I went off on a tangent, but you were talking, you were asking about the the issues that my colleagues face in red states and right. legislation. Yeah. So, so I provide, um, I'm a, the full-time chief medical officer in New York um, at, at the Planned Parenthood Hudson Baconic in New York, but I also fly to Indiana once a month to provide abortion care um, because there's a shortage of providers. Um it's really hard to become an abortion provider, believe it or not, because there's very little access to training for physicians who want to do this. Um, I was lucky enough to train in New York with an attending who is a huge abortion access activist, I should say. Um, and But around certain parts of the country, there's a lot of restrictions around who can who can train and how many training programs there are. Um, and then once you become a provider, it can feel unsafe to live and to practice abortion care um, in, in, in the same place, in, in, in the red state. So it can also, it's so oftentimes it's safer to fly somebody in from a, from a more progressive state. Wow. Um, and so, and then in, in these states, so in Texas, Patients have to wait 48 hours, or sorry, 24 hours before they can get um, an abortion. So they'll, they have to come in. And in many, 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 most red states, this is the case where they come in, have to have an ultrasound, whether it's medically indicated or not. They often test in some states, they have to look at the ultrasound or they have to have the ultrasound described to them, or they have to listen to the fetal heart tones, whether they want to or not. Then they have to be read a script um, that is mandated by the state that sometimes in some states say things like abortion causes breast cancer or abortion causes depression. Yeah, and none of these things are true, but the state requires that the physician read um, the script of lies. And the whole point is to try and deter the patient from wanting to get an abortion, but really what it does is just worsen stigma. And it also 
creates a sense of mistrust between the patient and the provider, right? Because I will oftentimes say the state is requiring me to say this, but then I piggyback with, but it's, I don't agree with this. Science does not say that this is true. Mm, wow. Then the patients, and so in different states, you know, there's, there's some have, most have waiting periods. Um, some do not like in New York, there's no waiting period. Um, but in Texas, the waiting period is 24 hours in Indiana, it's 18. Um, and they have to go home and then come back to then get the abortion. And the, the idea behind that is that states, they, they try to make patients, um, they try to make patients, they force them to go home to quote unquote, think about their decision. Yeah. But I, there is enough research out there showing that it doesn't do that. It doesn't actually, most people who initially come to the health center to have an abortion, they want the abortion. Mm-hmm. Like them going home and coming back for this like arbitrary amount of time doesn't actually impact their decision at all. But it does cause harm. It causes delays in care. It causes multiple trips to the health center. Many people are using public transportation. Many people have to take time off work. They have to find childcare on multiple days. It creates hardship. And actually in Tennessee, um, a judge just reversed the waiting period. Um, so in Tennessee, it was 48 hours. And the judge struck down and said that, you know what, this is this you know, he reversed it. So now there's no, this just happened the other day. And so this, it, you know, there's a lot of um, policy work going on also with public, so Planned Parenthood has a public affairs division where we do a lot of advocacy work and policy work related to legislation that directly impacts our patients, such as waiting periods. Yeah, it Um, sounds like that would really impact our, the hourly employed and lower income mm-hmm. demographics. You know, like I have a salary and it's a pain in the ass to take two days off of work, but I can't imagine being hourly employed and not getting paid for that time off. You know, like that must discourage people in its own way or, you know, cause serious employment problems. Yeah. Or especially 100%. states that only have really one abortion clinic in the whole state. So like, I, th- I read this somewhere and I think it was Alabama, but don't quote me. I don't know if that's correct. But it basically was like, if you live six hours to that clinic, like not only do you, are you driving six hours in one day and six hours home, you have to now come back if they're having you do this waiting period. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people don't always come back like right at that 18 hour mark or that 24 hour mark for whatever reasons. Right. Not, I mean, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they oftentimes can't. Yeah. So then what that does is that pregnancy is still growing, right? right? So then it pushes them further into the pregnancy, oftentimes in the second trimester, right? The majority of abortions occur in the first trimester, but what these waiting periods and other hardships cause are just delays in care. And I, and I also wanted to add to your point about these rules impacting lower income um, people and particularly black and brown people, mm-hmm. um, is that in, in many states, there are rules around people being able to use their public insurance. So their Medicaid or, um, even their private insurance, um, to pay for what? the abortions. Really? So when I, when I work in Indiana, people can't use Medicaid, they can't use private insurance. So they're literally, um, counting out cash oftentimes or paying with credit card which they can't always pay off right away oh my god and yeah i want to back up for a second too did you say that patients are forced to listen to the fetal heartbeat yes in some cases and depending on in, in some states they're either they're either forced to listen to it or they're told the the provider the physician has to say you know would you like to listen to this Mm. That has to be traumatizing um, for a lot of people. Yeah. It's 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 so mean. Yeah. It's so cruel. And, and, and is not founded in science. None of this is. Mm-hmm. The way that I'm able to practice abortion care in New York is very patient-centered and medically sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And so it, it's just crazy to me that there's this, it's, you know, even though I do this all day, every day, it's still just when I talk about it and when I think about it, when I write about it, it just baffles me um, that, you know, that 
they're rules that are just made up because of some idea someone someone's ideology or you know someone's political gain really because a a lot of these uh, politicians you know make up these laws just to appease their voter base honestly yeah absolutely and I mean, on the topic of politics, we obviously have you on because it's extremely timely with everything happening in politics today. Can you explain to the best of your ability what it would really mean if Roe v. Wade gets rolled back? Because I know a lot of people are talking about this, and I, I don't think a lot of people really know what it means. So what it means is, so I'm not a policy expert, I'm a physician, but right. what I will tell you is that, you know, with the conservative Supreme Court, there's a very real threat to Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And if it were overturned, what it would do is, so right now, Roe v. Wade has made abortion not a crime in all 50 states. So some states in their state laws have already already have abortion codified so new york for example the reproductive health act in 2019 so, you know made it so that if roe v wade were overturned abortion would still be legal in new york um and some other states have that as well but now many states have trigger laws that will then automatically make abortion a crime in that state So then what we would see are big disparities, even bigger disparities in access to abortion care, right? Right now, abortion is legal in all 50 states, but as I've just described, you know, the conservative politicians are really chipped away at access, making it essentially essentially inaccessible. So if Roe v. Wade were overturned, we would see an even greater disparity. So there would be all these progressive states where abortion would be, you know, accessible or legal, I should say, and then all these conservative states where abortion would not be, where it would be a crime. And so, you know, there's there's the likelihood of people being forced to travel even greater distances to get abortion care. But again, who are those people going to be? They're probably going to be the wealthier white people, right? It's not exactly the the health disparities are going to become greater. It's going to be the lower income black and brown people who are further, who are pushed out further to the margins um, and are being forced to carry pregnancies as a term that they, you know, that, that they didn't want to carry to term. And then we may even also see an increase in people accessing abortion pills online. Um, so managing their own abortions, um, which you know, is, is a whole other topic of conversation. Um, and I'm happy to go into it if you have more questions about it. Um, Cause we're already seeing that, especially with COVID, we've seen an uptick in people um, trying to access and buy pills, abor- the, the abortion pill online um, to manage their own abortion because of, you know, health centers shutting down mm-hmm. during COVID, um, just like difficulties at, in accessing care. So. And we, you know, that it's 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 hard to imagine living in a country where that would be the case. I try not to think about it, but we, I also, as a healthcare provider who's doing this work day in and day out, I do I do have to think about it mm-hmm. in order to figure out ways in which we can creatively continue caring for our patients. Um, yeah. Um, well, I guess kind of piggybacking off that there are like fake abortion pills on the market now or, or skyrocketing more than before. Um, can you explain uh, to the listeners what a fake healthcare centers are and how they trick people into not getting an abortion? Oh yeah. So there are like way more fake health centers um, than there are actual health centers providing abortion care um, in this country. And many of them get um, public funding. So taxpayer dollars are used to pay for them to exist. And they oftentimes will position themselves near health centers that provide abortion care. um, And sometimes they have similar names um, to, you know, to the real, the abortion clinic that, you know, that's actually providing care. Um, there's one actually across the street from the health center where I provide care in South Bend, Indiana, and 
it has a name that's very similar to Whole Women's Health. And so patients will go there. Um, and then, you know, one, I remember one patient had a brought, had got an ultrasound and then it clearly was further along. The image showed a fetus that was further along in a pregnancy than the patient actually was. Oh and my God. We did the ultrasound for the patient across when, when, she finally realized that she that something was funny about this, what was happening. So she ended up coming across the street and we redid the ultrasound and she wasn't as far along. Um, but the image also said, hey, mommy, on it. <gasps> oh, um, oh stop. my God. And so, yeah. And so these, you know, these horrible, horrible tactics are used to try, to try and prevent people Um from getting an abortion. They'll also talk about how unsafe the abortion is, about how, you know, they use really shameful language such as like, oh, you know, don't go to that health center that's part of the abortion industry or, you know, that, that you know, you, you'll become infertile if you, if you have an abortion today, you'll never Jesus be able to have children, which is a total myth. And in a, an abortion does not impact your ability to have children in the future. That's I, I actually hear that a lot from people, and and it, it's it, it it you know you can have in multiple abortions um, won't impact your ability either. Um, so yeah, these fake health centers are real. Um, but what they also do is they provide diapers and they provide formula and oh my god, there are people and I wrote about this in my book that. Um, a colleague of mine actually she she's peruvian and she was going to peru and she she was taking her her young baby to peru with her and wouldn't have enough um she was part of the WIC program and couldn't get enough through WIC to take with her so they said you know you should go to this health center they have they're giving away free formula and she went and it's a fake clinic um and she said all I wanted was formula and all they just kept asking me about my views on abortion. And I had told them cause they made her, um, they, they asked her her medical history and they asked her, you know, about how many times she's been pregnant and how did, what, how did, what was the outcome of all of those pregnancies? And she had had an abortion and they just wouldn't give up. They just kept going on and on and on about how she had had an abortion and they were shaming her and, Oh my making God. her horrible about it and all she wanted was formula for her baby to take oh with her to peru and while these she was going with her family so sorry and these health centers are run by like real doctors and nurses yeah that was gonna right? be my question like who's no so they are no i mean there's the there's the chance that like some anti-abortion licensed professional would want to work at one of these things because Unfortunately, there are anti-abortion healthcare providers, um, but for the most part, these people are not licensed, and they um, they they work for anti-abortion groups, religious groups um, who open up these health centers. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, yeah, how can you get this professional equipment? Or yeah. I mean, I'm like now I'm like, is it even the real equipment? But how can you even get all that equipment if you're not a licensed doctor, you know? Yeah, you can get an ultrasound. Um, That's wild. So, like, anyone can administer an ultrasound if they really wanted to? Like, what are the lines yeah. in the room? Like, can are they actually, like, getting people up in the stirrups? Like, <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, in some cases, they're putting people, you know, in, in on an exam table and in the foot uh, in footrest and you know, patients are, and it depends, like in New York, an RN can do an ultrasound. So it could be an RN. Some In some states, it could be a medical assistant. So somebody who doesn't have a license, but has like a little bit of medical training. Like it, it really just depends. Wow. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you just need someone to work a printer if you're at one of these fake clinics. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, know yeah. how to Photoshop just text print. on a yeah. photo. Um, someone who's good at, yeah. Well, see, I was going to say, say you go to this clinic, this fake one, and you're still like, yeah, you know what? I want the abortion. Then what? Like, if there's no actual practicing doctors, like, is that... They send you across the street. Then they send you <laughs> next door. They're like, oh, we're, we're just here to talk you out of it. You have to go like, to our other office. You got to go... Yeah, this is our other, other, other area over here. Well, the thing is that patients are smart. 
like they yeah. figure it out. Every time I've heard from a patient who has been to one, they they pick up on it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they realize that they're being duped. Um, and then, you know, with we have such there's such easy access to information now, you know, with our phones and internet and true. Um, but it's just it's easy to go um, to just Google, you know, where to go. And luckily with with name recognition, you know, Planned Parenthood is known. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, like the majority of um, health centers that are providing abortion care aren't um, aren't Planned Parenthood. And that's that's where um, the fake clinics are, are you know are at an advantage because they're pretty good at coming up with similar names that are similar to non-Planned Parenthood health centers that provide abortion. Mm, got it. I mean, yeah, just in like you talking about patients being smart, it makes me think too, for some reason, almost every time I go to see my OBGYN, I text a friend about it afterwards. I'm like, was this weird? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like it's just a conversation piece too, because it is such an uncomfortable sometimes situation. They're like, I gotta tell someone. I I do that. I mean, I do that. My friend, I'm a doctor and I do that. Right. Like we, there's some sort of camaraderie around like, you know, the lower half of your body. Yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting because, you know, and I talk about this in the, in the introduction in my book about how my best, best, best friend. I mean, I talk to her every single day. She's been my best friend for 15 years. We went to college together and she and I are just so, so close. And I mean, she knows everything. And yet she didn't tell me that she had an abortion until a few years ago, which is really interesting. And again, no one has to share their abortion story, right? We're allowed to keep things private if we want to. That's okay. What I'm not saying is that she should have, or I wish she had. I just wish that we lived in a society and that our culture allowed for us to share things like that with one another, because like, we're more likely to talk about sex and pregnancy, but we're less likely to talk about abortion and miscarriage and infertility. Um, And so there, there is a, there's a real disconnect there. And I wish that we could, we could get to a place um, where we talked about it more often because because she couldn't tell anyone, um, we were in our mid twenties when, when she had an abortion and because we, she couldn't, she didn't feel like she could tell anyone. And I've told her now, I was like, even if you had told me that back then, I would have supported you just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she didn't feel like she could tell anyone, she got the abortion alone and she couldn't get sedation through an IV because in order to get sedation, you have to have a, a, a trusted escort with you to take you home. So someone, you know, so she went alone, just had, you know, whatever comfort measures they could give measures that they could give her, which was a really sweet nurse holding her hand. And then she went home that day. And it's interesting because her, her parents read my book and they picked up that it was her and wrote her a really, really sweet note saying, we just want you to know that if you had told us, we would have supported you. Mm-hmm. So Oftentimes we don't realize that we would be there for each other. Um, oh yeah. During I mean, in, term, like that. Um, in terms of when people bring up like, should it be legal? It's something that I'm like, I've always been like, I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation. Cause I've yet mm-hmm. to be in it. And I have friends that I thought a hundred percent would get an abortion and don't. And then I have yeah. friends that yeah. I thought would never. And then they did. Yeah. So it's truly like, you don't know till it's happening to you essentially. So I'm always kind of like, it's good that the option is there if you want to, because mm-hmm. most people truly don't know either till it's suddenly they're in that position. Mm-hmm. 100%. Nobody plans for that, right? Like, no, nobody is like thinking about that until until they're put in that place. So yeah, I totally agree. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say with all of this and the shame and stigmas that surround abortions, what advice would you have for someone who's thinking about maybe getting one? I would say that there is, you know, well, it's, it's interesting you asked, asked me that question because as a healthcare provider, when, when, when I'm delivering a positive pregnancy test, what I tell people is I just give them the news 
I do not say congratulations because that happens a lot more than you think um, where a provider will say, you know, congratulations or, you know, deliver the result with a smile on their face um, when that's not really how the patient is feeling about it, right? So I say, you know what, your pregnancy test was positive um, and, and how do you feel about this? I just ask them, how are they feeling? Um, sometimes they're excited, sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes they're confused, sometimes they don't know what to do. And I tell them that there is no right or wrong decision. The right decision is whatever you decide, um, whatever, you know, in the context of your life, whatever makes sense for you right now. And, you know, if they need more time to think about it, I, I try to figure out around about how far along they would be and then tell them that they have time. Usually people discover that they're pregnant very early in pregnancy, um, so, which gives them time to think about what they want to do. If they are thinking about it, though, and are going to leave my office, then I make sure that they have started a prenatal vitamin in the event that they decide to continue the pregnancy. Um, and then I encourage them to talk to someone they trust and someone they love and someone who knows them well um, to help them figure out what is best. But I think, it, it, actually, I know that people seem to find so much relief in me saying, like, you don't have to make this decision right now. Mm -hmm. um, it, because when I, when I can tell that they're thinking about it or they share with me that they're just not sure. Um, alternatively, if they do know immediately that they, that they don't want to be pregnant, I figure out how to initiate a medication abortion that day or, um, sign them up for, um, put them on the schedule for a procedural abortion for the next available day. Yeah. Got it. And this might be kind of a silly question, but what's the difference between like the pill and the procedure? Not a silly question. It's a really good question. Um, that's a large part of my counseling um, for patients when they come. Um, so a medication abortion is, as I mentioned earlier, it's very similar to inducing a miscarriage. Um, so basically, um, the patient takes one pill called Mifepristone, which ends the pregnancy. Um, and then anywhere, depending on how far along they are, they can usually soon after or up to 48 hours, they can then take four pills called misoprostol, um, which induce cramping and bleeding and expulsion of the pregnancy. Um, that mifepristone and misoprostol can be used to end a pregnancy up to 11 weeks um, at our Planned Parenthood. Now it's really state dependent um, and mo most places 10 weeks um, and some more progressive states 11 weeks. And so um, we provide that up to 11 weeks. Um, and then the other way to have an abortion is by having a procedure. So a patient lays on the table um, with their feet in the footrest. We insert a speculum, which is very similar to what happens during a pap test. Um, to visualize the cervix. Um, and then we use dilators. We use some numbing medication around the cervix. Then we use these dilators to manually stretch the cervix a little bit um, up to, you know, to, to, a, to a degree that corresponds to how far along they are in the pregnancy. And then we insert a cannula, which is like a straw into the uterus through the cervix and we use a suction um, to remove the contents of the uterus. The whole process takes less than two minutes. Really? Some wow. people don't need sedation. Some people want sedation. Some people um, want to be completely asleep. Um, it just depends um, on what their preferences are. Yeah. It's a really simple process. Um, and um, you know, one, and, and some people will ask me like, what's better? What should I do? And I, and I always say, you know, your abortion should be, you know, how do you want that to look? Do you want to do this at home? Um, where you can lay on the couch with, you know, a heating pad, watching Netflix, 
Um, or do you want, you know, with like a loved one around, um, or do you want to come into the health center, have the procedure and then leave not pregnant after a few hours? Cause unfortunately it does take an hour and a half to two hours just with, just sort of with the process, but the actual procedure itself takes less than like a few minutes. Wow. So, yeah. Um, I was just going to ask in this pandemic, everyone's kind of been joking that it's like Netflix and chill time. Like people are hooking up more. Have you noticed an increase in abortions along like this alleged increase in sexual activity? So we have seen an increase. Um, we, yes. So I have seen a lot of people now it may, an increase in people accessing abortion care. Now, it I don't know if it's it, it I don't know if it's because people are more sexually active. Yeah, I was going to say not all of us are more sexually active. Some of us, <laughs> some of us were being completely deactivated for many many months. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, it might also be a time that people can't have kids if they've lost their jobs. We're also facing like a massive economic crisis yeah. too. So, so exactly. So it so there's a lot of different things I was seeing. So people, yes, at home, um, you know, not working, not in school, at home, more sexually active. Um, many people often in abusive relationships um, experiencing more abuse because they are at home and they have fewer outlets. Um, Many people changing their plans in fertility, infertility and child rearing. Um, There was a study at Guttmacher that showed about um, a third of cis women um, were choosing to delay parenting or deciding to not become a parent at that time. So I mean, I, I definitely, I remember in March and April, I saw a handful of patients who expressed to me, you know, this was initially a desired pregnancy, but I lost my job. I lost my insurance. Like, I don't know what the future holds. I can't have this pregnancy right now. Hmm. Um, and yeah, or it's, or it's people who, you know, had trouble accessing or getting refills on their birth control mm-hmm. um, or people who we, people who wanted an IUD but couldn't get an IUD because for a period of time for like two, three months, we were delaying having people reschedule their IUD insertion appointments for months out because we really didn't know what this pandemic was going to do. And Mm -hmm. at the time we were just sort of, we were minimizing as much foot traffic in our health centers as possible. So what we saw was, a decrease in use of the most effective forms of birth control, which are IUDs and Nexplanons. Um, and then in, and then a slight increase um, in use of the pill patch in the ring, because you know we could write a prescription and send it to the pharmacy after having a consultation over telehealth. Um, but again, the IEDs and Explanons are more effective than the pill patch in the ring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that may have contributed to to um, more unintended pregnancies and therefore more abortions. So there's a, there were a mix of things going on um, during the pandemic. I mean, the timing is just so fascinating to me of the court situation, like uh, as pregnancies and, you know, uh, people searching for abortion abortion care is going up it we could potentially lose it in states across the country and that's terrifying to me yeah and at a time that you might not even be allowed to go into another state again they might be putting lockdown situations on or can you afford to go to a state quarantine and then go to a health center like so many different things are up in the air it's really terrifying Mm -hmm. um you know i wish i could provide more reassurance around that and i can't but I do what I can, which is I speak out and I, um, you know, I, I vote, which is incredibly important, mm-hmm. um, and do what I can um, to tr- to just try and maintain access for patients because I see how important it is. I mean, it is healthcare; it's a human right, and people need abortions. Um, 
abortions don't go away in the even in the even in the most conservative states that have the harshest restrictions like people are still accessing abortion care people are still lining up to get their abortions people are in those states trying to get abortion care on their own Mm -hmm. uh, by buying pills online so the need is still there absolutely um i'm curious being i don't know the technical term but being a doctor that does uh perform abortions uh what reactions do you typically get from people when you tell them that that is part of your job and and i'm specifically curious if you've experienced any shame from whether it be strangers or friends or family and and how you dealt with that yeah so i I talk a lot about this in the introduction of my book about how i used to be really quiet about it Um, i'm from south carolina my parents um, were indian immigrants they settled in south carolina i was born there in in south carolina not india um and you know i i when i first started doing this work um i wouldn't really talk about it because i was terrified um because you hear about and you know we always honor abortion providers who have died um basically in the line of duty just doing their work and doing what they love dr george tiller was literally assassinated in front of his church um, for, for being one of the most well-known, most compassionate physicians in this field. And by, you know, he was killed by some anti, anti-abortion person. Um, and so, you know, you can't forget these stories and they still haunt me. And, and so I was really quiet about the work that I did. And then I slowly started to come out, uh, maybe more vocal about it. And what I realized was that people started to, as a result, share their stories with me about either their own abortion story or somebody they knew or, you know, they ask questions about it. And, and I just found myself saying, you know what, I, I think it's my duty to talk about this more. Like, not only is it my duty to do this work and do it with grace and with compassion, but it's also my duty to talk about this work. And by talking about it, I'm, normalizing it um and and it's working so far so i will continue to do that um and you know i say what i do with confidence i don't whisper it i used to whisper it or i found myself (laughs) whispering it subconsciously um and yet i say it i say it out loud i say it with pride and what i'm usually met with is is you know a thank you or a story or, you know, or questions, um, genuine questions. So for me, it's all about how I present it because then I am met with a, sort of an equal reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about it of like, if I was, if I became a doctor, if there would kind of be this thing of I could tell like my parents would be so proud and excited, but knowing like I've come from a big Italian Catholic family, if I suddenly was like, and I'm going to conduct abortions, it'd be like, oh, <laughs> what? Like, like we helped you get to medical school to do X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? So I, I commend you for being very open and writing your book and sharing all these stories. I think it's it's great. Well, well you know, and thank you. Um, I will say that I do think that you have to meet people where they are. Um, so people who are like really anti-abortion, I almost feel like, I don't know if we're going to change their minds, right. um, cause they're not even willing to listen, but the people who are willing to listen, um, I find that they're basing their opinions off of, off of misinformation, um, myths, um, and they just may not know the truth and the realities around it. So as a physician, I think that I hold a place of privilege where I can actually say, no, this is exactly what happens in the exam room. These are the types of patients that I see Mm -hmm. medically. These are the truths about abortion. Um, and, and it, it's working so far. I hope it continues to work. Um, you know, I come from a really conservative Indian family. My, I come from a family of physicians, but none of them do anything remotely close to what I do. I have a cardiologist, an ophthalmologist, a radiation oncologist. So so they don't really understand, but honestly, it's through storytelling that I got them on board. So 
I work at a, one of my health centers is in Long Island and there's a really large Indian community around there. And many of them speak the same language that I do. And over the years, they've, they've just keep coming back to see me or they tell their friends. Right. Um, and cause there's this Indian doctor who speaks their language and, you know, um, and so I always tell my mom about every, anytime I, I see a Gujarati speaking patient, I call my mom right after and say, mom, I saw another patient who was Gujarati speaking. She's like, oh my gosh. Now she tells all of her girlfriends <laughs> and they're all talking about it. And it's like, you know, Indian people get abortions. Well, no duh. But like, she just needed to hear that story. She just mm. needed to like hear that it's true. And, you know, I got her like now she's on board and like, all of her friends are, you know, and it, it's kind of a cool thing. And that's the power of storytelling. And, and that's what I tried to do with my book. Yeah. It's just crazy to me. I got flack for doing a plan, 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 parenthood fundraiser once I just performed on a comedy show. That's all I did. Oh, really? I just showed up and performed on a show and someone messaged me being like, Hey, just so you know, Planned Parenthood is the number one provider of abortions in the U S and I didn't say anything. I just left it on red, but I so badly was like, I, there are so many things I could say to this, but number one, my first thought was this person has never once paid to come see me do comedy. Okay. <laughs> number two, I got paid to do the gig. I was like, I'm being a comedian. That's the job I'm providing. Like, yes, it's fundraising for something, but I'm like, this is, you know, my line of thing. Like I've heard many comedians be like, I don't care for club and seals. Like if I'm getting paid to do this gig, <laughs> like I need the money, you know, <laughs> but it just was so crazy to me. Like hearing that I was like, wow, I didn't know these people existed that like, they think that's all Planned Parenthood does. Like, well, it's also just important healthcare. You yeah. know, <laughs> even if that oh, was the only thing that we did though, you know, like even if that was the only thing that we did, like that's okay. Cause it's a necessary health. It's necessary. Yeah. Healthcare. It will never, ever go away. Yeah. Right. The need for that service will never go away. Yeah. And like, and I mean, if anything, I felt like almost going, yeah, I know. That's where I had mine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> even though I haven't had one, but almost to kind of be like, hey, man, you don't know who gets them. Like, yeah, you can't yeah. just be going around saying this to people. That's crazy. You know, like you just shamed me. And it's almost like I was kind of lucky I didn't. What if I did? What if I did have one and I went to Planned Parenthood and you just shamed me and don't totally. know anything about me? Can know? I ask, was it, it a man? It was yeah. a man. Yeah. But see, that's the other thing is that like, and actually in my book, I included a chapter called Mateo and it's about a man who goes with his girlfriend or I think wife at the time to have an abortion. Um, and he, you know, and he talks about how he benefited from that abortion, right? Like his life is where it is now because his partner had an abortion. So men are oftentimes left out of the conversation because they are viewed as the oppressor because in many cases they are. I don't want to like take that away from the whole women's rights movement, right? Like white men have historically suppressed women and other minorities, right? In, in our history. And that's something I'm not going to deny, but I will say, I do think that there is a place for cis men in this conversation the majority of them are beneficiaries and the majority of them are also on the same page with their partners who have a, an abortion. And there's data around that to show mm -hmm. that most, um, you know, heterosexual couples, so cis man, cis woman, if, you know, the, the woman gets pregnant, then in most cases, the man is on the same page with the outcome of that pregnancy, whether to continue or whether to not. And so there is a place for them. And I think that we need to encourage more dialogue for men to, to participate in this. Um, it can only build a stronger movement. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, this has been amazing. Can you tell all of us where we can find your book? I think a lot of listeners are definitely going to want to check it out after this episode. Yeah. So my book is um, available wherever books are sold. So the big um, you know, retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, it's any, but I, I, I would encourage you all to go to independent book um, stores to support them. Um, it comes out on audiobook October 27th. Um, and it's available. So it's available on hardback right now. And, um, and um, an ebook. Great. And then audiobook next week. Yeah. Great. And where can everyone find you if they want to check out uh, you on social media? 
So my Instagram is mjshah8. Um, and yeah, friend me, follow me. I've been posting a lot about the book. Um, and, and she's verified. Of, uh, There's two Dr. Shaw's we found, but the verified <laughs> <Okay>. one. <laughs> I am the, the verified one. Um, yeah, and I've been just posting a lot about um, what's happening in the, on the national stage with the election um, and what's at stake. So check me out. All yeah. Right. Thank you guys uh, all for tuning in. And as always, you can follow the podcast at Shooters Gotta Shoot Pod. You can follow me at Sparica with two A's. And I'm at the Guaca underscore Molly. And uh, as always, if you want to throw a little donation to Planned Parenthood, now is as good a time as ever, uh, especially they're helping us fight these laws and keep these places open and provide services that are much needed, as you heard from this episode, much more than abortion. But even if it was just abortion, still very important. <laughs> so thank you all for listening and we will see you guys next week.